Uh, it's lovely to see you all this morning. Uh, nice to have you with us and a bit together. Um, last year we started off by asking whether 2017 was good or not. Uh, last week, yeah, last year even. Um, this stool's a bit little, but I'm going to be comfy stood up. Thank you, Lord. Um, and we said this question, when we think about whether the year has been good or not, this is the question we have to ask ourselves, uh, not whether... Uh, we've got a promotion, or whether this has happened or that's happened, because, or whether the finances are good, or whether we've gained people or lost people, which I know many of you have done this year, because that's going to happen. Um, and if you're based, whether a year is good or not, based on all those things, then you will be basing your life based on something you cannot control, which is never really very wise. It means you're at the mercy of all those things that are uncontrollable. But whether you've journeyed, and by that I mean whether you've learned, whether you've understood, whether you've come to some fresh understanding about yourself, about people around you, about Jesus, then that, for me, is a wonderful thing. Uh, life in a year is not really about arriving or getting somewhere, but perhaps it's more about growing, journeying, travelling. Um, we said as well, sometimes it's not even about going forward. Sometimes it's just about keeping standing uh, and actually remaining standing through the trials and the storms and all the rest that goes on. Um, and whether you feel like 2017 has been the year you've finally broken through and seen and understood some things, or whether you'll be glad to see the back of it because it's been terrible, one thing is, of course, constant, which is, lo is his love for you. Yes. Whether you feel it was good or not, whether you did wonderful things, or whether you felt you did nothing, he loves you no matter what because his love is not dependent on your choices. It's not dependent on whatever growth or lack of growth you feel you have made. He loves you. Because you're you. And he loves you as you are. Of course, there are bits of you that for your sake, he might like to you to change. Not for his sake, you understand. Anything you do will become more like Jesus. is not for his sake. Because he loves you anyway. It's for your sake and for the sake of those around you. Because when you become more like him, you start to enjoy life more. Because you start to realise you move in joy and peace and grace and forgiveness and mercy. And those things mean you enjoy life more and you are more enjoyable to be around, which is a wonderful thing. Um, we said this as well, that ultimately what Jesus is concerned about is our relationship to him, about whether we've gone further with him. And I said, if you want to go further, if you want to go deeper, if you want to keep growing, the only way to do it well is to first go deeper with Jesus. Uh, and last week we explored Samuel, which we're going to go back to this week, and then Jesus, who, when he was tired from the journey, stopped by a well uh, in John chapter 4. A well is a place of resting, stopping, a source of refreshing, a place to be filled up. And I asked, which wells do we drink from when we are tired from the journey? Jesus sat down by a well when he was tired from the journey. You see, we all have wells that we think refresh us. We all have places to go when we are tired, we all have sources of refreshing. But what I have seen recently is that if we are to go further next year, and by further I mean in all that we're doing, all the external things that we're doing, jobs, careers, ministries, people, relationships, then in order to do that well, you've got to first go deep with Jesus, no matter how gifted you are or how wonderful it already is. So we have to ask this question, where have you found refreshing? Where have you gone to be filled up when you were empty? And where have you rested? Because if that place isn't Jesus, 
then it won't be sufficient for what God's got for you this year. And you will struggle to go further in all that he's got for you. I said we need to examine those places and ask whether they will meet the filling and refreshing we need. And the question we must ask is, was it Jesus? When you've had a hard day at work and you get in, do you reach for Jesus or a wine glass? When you come out of a tough meeting, do you reach for Jesus or you phone to tell somebody else about it? When you come in all tired and weary, do you reach for Jesus or the TV remote? These can be our wells. And if you want to go further and higher, those things will not sustain you. There's nothing wrong in any of those things, by the way. They're all, they're all fine. The question is, they won't sustain you. And the question is, what comes first? Where do we go first? That's what tells you where you really think the answer is, where you first go. But today I want to go back to 1 Samuel. Uh, so if we've got that there, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Um, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. Now, of course, the truth is that God is always calling, always speaking, always declaring. You realise that God, sometimes God spoke to me. What we really mean is I managed to listen. That's the truth of it. He won't like God didn't speak to you the other 23 hours of the day. No, he did. You just perhaps were not aware yet. And so much of our listening is not really about God speaking. It's much more about us listening and our awareness of what God wants to do. Because I realised that film that I talked about, God said some things to me in that film about this next season of my life. I'm almost certain some of the questions I've been asking over this last three months, deep questions for me personally, got answered in this film. And you might go, well, that's a bit weird. It should really be in the Bible. Well, actually, it all came from the Bible anywhere. It just got expressed in a way that maybe I could listen. And maybe it's my lack of hearing that God had to speak to me through that. I don't know. But he certainly did. But Samuel responds, here I am. If... So we have to ask the question, how good is our hearing? And if, it, if he speaks, are we ready to do whatever he says? Go wherever he sends? Because you see, there's so much clutter, so much busyness, so much we're doing all the time. And, and hear me when I say this, much of it has little value in the sense of bringing you life. So there's lots that we do that we're called to do. We have jobs to do, we have houses to look after, we have relationships to build. But then outside of that, there's lots we do that has little value in it. Because unless it's bringing you life, it's not really bringing you value. And some of the things we do don't just not bring us life, they actually bring us death. So, so, so we have to ask of those things that we do, does it lead us into life? Does it supply life? Does it reproduce life? And then, of course, because we're filled up with all these things, we say we're so busy and we have no time to do things. But... He also asks you a question, why do you do what you do? What does it lead you to? Where is it taking you? How is it changing you? Is it producing something more? Because the whole point and purpose of life is that you might bear fruit and become like him. That's the whole point and purpose of life. You were put on the earth in his image, and then because of something that happened a long time ago, that image was mad, so now you don't look quite like him, but you probably look more like him than you think. And now you have to find out those things that are not like him and deal with those things. That's the, the reason you're on the earth. That's really what Christianity is. 
in, in what I think it is anyway. But you know, we just sung some beautiful songs, Ellie. I thought you did fantastic this morning. Well done. Beautiful, beautiful sense of the presence of God. And um, you know, Jesus, we're in awe of you. Jesus, we bow down to you. All beautiful. But, but the reality of your life is not seen in what you sing on a Sunday morning. It's seen in what you say, how you react, how you respond, and what you do. That's the truth of it. The reality of your life in Jesus is seen in what you say, how you react, how you respond, and what you do. And of course, you're never going to get that right all the time because you're learning to be like him. Until you get to, to be with him in heaven with Jesus, you, you, you're not going to manage to do that perfectly. But hopefully you're doing it a little bit more. You see, we can say and make all sorts of strong claims about our pursuit of Jesus, our love of God. But there is a little bit of an issue because you can look and see other people who make no such claims about Jesus, but who seem to be far more ready to leave their families and loved ones, lay down their supposed rights and desires, and who are ready to go and meet a need. Plenty of people are willing to drop everything and go to... Uh, where, where was the Ebola outbreak? Sierra Leone. Plenty of people are willing... They have nothing to Jesus. They leave everything behind, give up jobs, <laughs> give up families, and go to Sierra Leone with the risk of their own death to treat people who have Ebola. And they don't know anything about Jesus. And we said, we've got Jesus. Yeah. And we struggle to get to a meeting. Well, there's a problem, isn't there? If we don't manage to get to a life group twice a fortnight, but we say we love him, and there's people who don't even love him but manage to go to Sierra Leone to risk their lives, there's, there's a bit of an issue in us. There's a bit of a hypocrisy in us, really. And I'm talking to all of us. You see, thousands of people who don't lay any claim to know Jesus or have heart, changed hearts and minds, and sometimes you wonder whether those people are more like Jesus than people who say they're like Jesus. Because when you look at their lives, they're doing what Jesus did, not just saying they did it. If Jesus asked you to postpone your holidays to go somewhere for him, would you do it? If he asked to give away all your savings and spending money, would you do it? If he asked you to look after your neighbour every lunchtime, would you do it? If he asked you to give up your birthday party and plans you had made, would you do it? Would you give up your bed for a night? If he asked you to make time to go to the prayer meeting, would you do it? If he asked you to pick someone up every Sunday for the next year, would you do it? If he asked you to write a letter to someone who had no friends, would you do it? Would you open your house to a stranger? You see, the reality of our lives is seen and observed in what we say, how we act, how we respond, and what we do, not in words or claims to greatness. That's why I'm not really interested in what people say to me. I'm interested in what their lives tell me. I just have to look and see, watch. Because anybody can say anything. But Samuel, Samuel had decided. He was tired of having no vision to live by. He was tired of the religious ceremony and rites and ritual. He was tired of the darkness creeping over him every time he laid down to go to sleep. He was tired of all the rotten, boredom of endless words without life. He was ready. Which is why he went, I'm here. And he had some things to learn. It would be a learning curve like none other. He'd lose people and things dear to him if you read through the story. It would be dangerous. There'd be issues that had been swept under the carpet that would have to be sorted out once for and for all. There'd be some battles to win those places. There'd have to be a, a laying hold of all that belonged to him, but which he needed to make his own. But the key thing I really want to talk about this morning is this. Because for Samuel, compassion would be birthed from suffering. And at the beginning of 2015, Paul talked about compassion. He brought a word which was about compassion. 
and about compassion oozing out of us. We're now in 2018. And there's still some way to go. According to the word there, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, which implies at some point it would have gone out, even though it should have been lit 24-7, because according to the, the earlier scriptures that gave the instructions on how the ark and all the things should happen, it should be burned continually. Now what's interesting if you read Leviticus 24 is that the fuel for the lamp was a clear oil of pressed olives. So this thing that fueled this light that was the lamp of God was a clear oil of pressed olives. And if you were to shine ever brighter, you were going to need some more fuel. If you are the lamp of the Lord, you are going to need some more fuel. But the fuel was pressed olives. Which immediately led me to think about Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the place where, it's a garden where Jesus was uh, as he was captured uh, a few days before he was killed. And Gethsemane means place of pressing. It's a place he tried, cried out to God and went, God, is there any other way we can do this? And then he went, but not my will, but yours. So it was the great place of pressing and suffering for him because he knew what was coming. But suffering, suffering can birth incredible compassion. Compassion flows or can flow when the vessel is broken and the heart of Jesus flows out. In Proverbs, it says, The lamp of the Lord searches a man's heart. It searches deep down inside him. And when you were broken, so to speak, and I don't, I don't mean, when I talk about broken and suffering, I don't mean the world falling apart, okay? Well, I mean that relationship you're struggling with. I mean that person at work that's just doing your head in, but you know you've got to go back on Monday morning and see him again. I mean that parent that's struggling with the health or that child that's struggling with your health. It's, I don't mean like the worst thing, I just mean life. You don't need to go looking for it. Trust me, difficulty will find you, it's called life. Okay, you don't need to go looking for it. But what happens, if you'll allow it, when you are in those places, that light which is within you can begin to flow out of you. But it also lights you up on the inside, showing you who you really are. But when you are pressed, what comes out? When you are suffering, what is it you release into the environment? And of course, most of you know, this is pertinent for me, these last three months I've been in physical pain like I've not known. So I, I speak this from more experience than ever I've spoke of it. And, and when I've not, not, sometimes not good things have come out. Sometimes my frustrations come out and my anger's come out and my upset's come out. But I think I'm learning to just give that over to God. But when you're oppressed, what comes out? And it's okay that what comes out might not be what you want to come out because that just tells you what's inside of you. You just have to be aware of it, capture it, and then process it and deal with it. You see, from what I read in the Word and from my own experience, suffering can birth compassion. And it's only when you know pain you can empathise with others in incredible pain. But this is true. Have we got that next one there? Being at the end of yourself is a really wonderful place to be. Being at the end of yourself is a really wonderful place to be. Because when you start with the pretense that you have it all together, and everything is wonderful, God can actually start doing something. You realise it is a complete and utter lie that everybody has it all together, don't you? You realise everybody thinks that even though they don't know themselves. 
and we all go around and think everybody else is better than us and has got it all together, even though we know we haven't got it all together. But then we project this image that we have it all together because everybody projects the same image. Yeah. It's complete nonsense. Nobody's got it all side. Nobody's got it all together. It's a complete lie. Everybody knows it. Everybody experiences it. And yet nearly everyone tries to give off the impression that they are side and they do have it all together. Well, you don't. I don't. Nobody does. It might look like it. You might look and see me sit here and think, oh, Adam's got it all together. Adam's a mess most days. It's true, just as fair. But it's okay because in, in that place, you can take that mess, look at it in the light of his love and the light of his grace and realize that, okay, what am I going to do with this right now? And the people who journey are the people who look at it in the light of his love, in the light of his grace, knowing that he loves them a bit and that he's not thinking anything negative about them, take it and do something with it. What is true is that the pressing, the challenge, the difficulty of being at the end of yourself is wonderful. I am fully aware that it doesn't feel wonderful. Fully aware that it doesn't feel wonderful. It feels the very opposite of wonderful. But the reality is, if you want to be like Jesus, being in that place is wonderful. And once again, you don't need to go find it. It'll come to you because you're, in, you're on the earth and you're a human being. And again, I'm not talking about everything feeling like it's falling all down around you, but, but those things that you're trying to do, those issues that you're struggling with, those people you're struggling that's enough of a place for God to move. I'm talking about all the different and varied ways the challenge and press of life comes, and I am suggesting to you that you need to learn to welcome that press with open arms because they can be wonderful. Most of us spend all our life fighting the press, fighting the difficulty, pushing it away, not wanting it to come. But actually, when you learn it, and I don't mean welcome it as in like, bring it on, God, give me all the difficulty, that's nonsense. What I mean is, you just learn to be in it. And go, okay, this is where I am. I'm accepting my place in it. I'm believing in faith I'm going to get out of it because this is not what God wants for me. But in the midst of it, there is something powerful that I can learn. Here's why. Zechariah 4 and verse 6, if you've been in church any length of time, you will know this, these words. So he says to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Whoop, whoop, wonderful, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's, what's the context of that verse? What do verses 1 to 5 say? And this is the problem when we quote a single verse. And, and, and A, it loses its power, but B, we don't understand the actual power of it because we lose the context of it. This is the context of it. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as one is waking from sleep. So this is uh, Zechariah writing down this like vision that he's having. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a board at the top and seven lamps in it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the left. Okay, so there's a lamp and there's some olive trees. And the fuel for the lamp is what? Pressed olives. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord, he asked. Don't you know what they are? No, my Lord, I said. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What was Zechariah seeing? He's seeing a lamp that would be in the temple with two olive trees. In other words, he's seeing the lamp and he's seeing the fuel. How does the lamp of the Lord shine? It shines when there's a pressing. The fuel for the lamp is pressed Olives, fruit that has been pressed to produce beautiful clear oil, which then means the light 
the map? Why have I written the map? Can burn brightly. Which means the light can burn brightly. Zechariah doesn't understand what he's seeing. And God goes, not by my, not by power, but by my spirit. Perhaps God is saying that one of the ways he gets things done, one of the ways his spirit moves on the face of the earth is through us and in us when we oppress. Not that he desires it or wants it or sends it. He does not. But because we live on this earth and because earth is set up as it is, it will happen. And when it happens, he wants to move. So maybe we could sum it up like this. Perhaps God is saying that when we fight that press with might, our human resources, our power, our human strength, then we fight the work of the Spirit. But when we accept the press, when we welcome it, when we understand that what he wants to do is produce clear, beautiful oil that will flow and fill our lamps so they burn brighter, then we welcome the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's what I mean by fighting the press. We want to fight, we want to push it away, we want to pretend it doesn't exist, that pain, that difficulty, that relationship, that whatever. We are, we are wired to go, no, there's a carpet, there's a sweeping brush, there we go. We're wired that way. We're wired to deny it, we're wired to shove it down, we're wired to pretend it doesn't exist. And we're wired that way because if we dare look at it, we know it will be painful and we don't like pain, so we keep it there. The problem is, it's still there and your rug's still got a lump under it. And you'll keep tripping up over the lump in your rug. That's the truth of it. That's the reality of it. And so one of the ways that it works, and one of the ways that also at the same time births compassion in you, because we need some compassion to reach this world. Without it, we will just keep on walking by. We will keep our mouths closed. We will not reach out. We will not look. We will not even see without compassion. You won't even see things that are going on. But there is an opportunity for you to just go, okay, God, I'm going to... I'm going to stop fighting this thing and just go, okay, it is what it is. Will it be painful? It might well be. Will it be difficult? It might well be. But you know what? What will flow out of it is something incredibly beautiful. There was a word uh, that came to us as a church back in 2015. Uh, and I want to read it again because I think it still resonates and it's still beautiful. I saw a light in a clear pot. The light could not be seen because it was in a clear pot, but it was there. Then I saw the clear pot smashed, and it revealed the light. God says, I've put my light in you for it to be seen. If your light cannot be seen, it's because things are in the way. These will need to be cleared for you to live in fullness. There is no way you can go that I will not be with you. Nothing you can feel without me being there. What should you do? Be the clay in the hands of the potter. The clay has no desire of its own. The potter moulds the clay whilst it is obedient. You may be broken this year. You need to remember some things. Make a note of them and write them down. Keep them in your heart and do that. Forget them. Number one, I love you and never wish you harm. My desire is we get closer, and that means getting rid of things that prevent it. Number two, who will you go to when you are broken? Or we could say, which well will you seek out? Number three, know what you believe and why you believe it. Your testimony is important because it will remind you of what I've already done in your life. I just want to reread this bit. Nothing you can feel without me being there. So the pain of it, you realise is already in it. 
he's already there and he's already going. I, I suppose I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. And please though, you know the whole bit at the beginning about would you do this, would you do that? God is not into condemning you and he's not into telling you off and he's not into getting you feel bad or guilty about it, okay? It's just a question to ask you. Because if you don't ask a question about where you are, you don't know where you are and then you can't grow. I only ever ask those questions because I want you to grow. And to grow, you have to work out where you are. And if you go, oh, shucks, actually, yeah, that's okay. You just have to go, oh, shucks, I'm sorry, Lord. That's it. You don't have to put on sackcloth and ashes and walk around in black for three years. It's okay. You just have to say, I'm sorry, Lord, get up and go on. It's the only reason he asked those questions. But I do think there are some of us who have been pretending something in there or shying away from it or not, whatever. But as you do it, there will be some, as you accept that press, there'll be some beautiful, clear oil that flows out of it. Not just for you, but for other people around you as well, which is an incredibly beautiful thing. So yeah, shall we pray? Father, I want to thank you that you, no matter what goes on, you are there, Lord. I am convinced of that. No matter where we are, no matter what happens, no matter who says what, does what, is what, whatever, you are there, Father. And Lord, I want to thank you that your only desire is to get to know us more and for us to reveal and reflect you more. And Father, I'm asking, Father, that you would just Lord, if there's anything that I've shared today that don't come from your throne room, Father, I pray that you would just blow it away. But Lord, anything that does come from your throne room that sits in our hearts, Father, would it sell? And for those who are, who are aware, Father, who your spirit spoke to this morning, who just know they've got a choice to make, Father, I pray that you would strengthen their faith, Father, and strengthen their spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.